Welcome to Quiet the Noise with Amy and Evelyn, a podcast whose mission is to educate and empower the community, make informed, unbiased decisions, and shift your perspective. World-renowned lecturers and educators, also referred to as the Gutman Sisters, Amy and Evelyn are known for evidence-based, trailblazing techniques in helping children and families thrive. Occupational therapists specializing in neurodevelopment, their goal is to encourage, enlighten, and empower. Please join your hosts, Amy and Evelyn Gutman. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're so happy to be here for the next episode of Quiet the Noise. For those of you who are joining with us for the first time, or hopefully you have listened to our other ones and are rejoining us again, um, this is Evelyn speaking, and I'm here with Amy. Hi, everyone. Hope you're doing well. And today we're going to talk about a really hot topic that's out there. There's a lot of buzz about the topic of reflexes and reflex integration, and particularly how reflexes can affect a child academically, behaviorally, emotionally, as well as physically. So I know that when I used to hear the word reflexes before I understood what it was, I used to think that it was just that knee kind of jerking out when you went to the doctor's office and they kind of hit you with that yeah, hammer. it's like the Norman Rockwell um, painting, painting yeah. that they have where he has the hammer and he's hitting the knee. That is definitely a reflex. Right. So but, can you share with the audience the, what are we really talking about? So what we're going to be talking about today are the reflexes that a baby is born with that help them navigate their world to begin with. Think about it, when a baby is born, they actually have no muscle tone at all. They're not able to lift their head independently. They don't really move their, they move their limbs, but there isn't a lot of purpose to the movements that they're doing. And babies are born with these reflexes to help them navigate their world, as I mentioned, and to give them sort of training in different movement patterns that they're going to need. Whether it's, by the way, sucking, when that baby, you put the, um, the bottle or your breastfeed a baby and it, uh, the nipple touches the baby's mouth, it is a reflex that actually enables them to begin to suck. And all of these reflexes are there for a certain amount of time, and each one has a specific time period where they have to be used. And then they, as the higher levels of the brain start to take over and they develop more cognition, then what you want to see is you want to see these reflexes sort of fade out to allow higher level reflexes to come in so that they get voluntary control of the movements that they're doing. Right, so even based on your example, because as an adult or a young teenager or a young child, it wouldn't be considered normal that when something touches their lips, like they would have done when they were breastfeeding, for them to all of a sudden start sucking on that. Yeah, which makes it, if you think about it, there are some kids who are still sucking. They're sucking on a pen or something that they're very sensitive. Let's say they have hypersensitivity in that region, like when they're using a toothbrush. Right. It would make you sometimes wonder, you know what, could there be a little bit of a residual reflex that's there that's affecting things? Now, I want to mention one thing. And by the way, it brings a point that even speech therapists also should be looking into this as well, which is when we're training them, they sometimes don't have that awareness as much. A hundred percent. I think that all therapists um, can see... You know, there are certain things that you could see that a speech therapist, a OT, a PT, each of all those disciplines can work on reflexes, assess them, and determine if it's really affecting their domain and how to work on it to get that child to function um, a little bit better. Okay, so let's get into the nitty-gritty. We we entitled this um, topic that we're going to talk about five 
ideas on different areas different areas that reflexes can affect our physical our emotional our behavioral our academic attention so let's get into it let's let's start with the basic which is physical excellent okay so when you look at a child a lot of times we look at how is that child let's start from the beginning how are they sitting are they sitting with a very nice posture we look at things like their tone and if you have reflexes that have not been utilized or haven't been integrated you may have a lot of children who have low muscle tone they can also be children who have a very who have high muscle tone like they have a very high guarded position you can see the way they're they're very stiff yeah they're not so flexible they have almost the robotic movements um you're going to see that the children who have issues with reflex can have issues with their coordination they don't maybe separate their right and their left side of their body really well they're gonna have a hard time with sports catching a ball going up and down steps and when you really look at babies Every single reflex sort of has a certain progression in terms of what for developmental milestones to happen also appropriately, like crawling, sitting up, getting from crawl into stand. There are certain reflexes that are there for that. So you're going to see as a baby develops from a very young age, are they there and have they gone away to allow for them to do other things? So a very interesting point is I think from what you're saying about those Um, transitional movements because when you go to a pediatrician they're usually asking so is your baby sitting is your baby crawling based on those standard charts that you know most mothers are looking at when they go on to on the internet or if they go to their doctor and I, I think something to stress is that you can do the physical activities let's say sometimes crawling or walking or standing but if you didn't utilize the reflex or integrate it it's those it's really the quality of the movement that can also impact later on developmental. A hundred percent. Because if you think about, I'll give you a very quick example, which is very, um, you can see it, you know, babies go from sit into crawl. And then when they're doing that rocking movement, I mean, we all right. know that when they're going back and forth. Yeah, they look like they're doing yoga or something. Right, but right? they're getting ready to crawl. And that is actually using a reflex. So to, And then when they're supposed to start getting into the crawling stages, some of them you see bunny hopping right. and they're, you know, they're scooting. So there you would suspect maybe that reflex wasn't integrated or they still have it, which is is going to affect how they're going to get up and maybe walk or how they're going to sit a little bit later on, uh-huh. what their posture is going to be and sitting in that classroom, will they be a little bit more slouch? Um, so all these different um, movement patterns and all these physical positions that children have can be affected by reflexes that are not there. And basically you could see it on the playground as well. So for example, like something that we were talking about, when, I don't, I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but even when we think about, let's say, that grasp reflex, right. which we're talking about just holding tight, you know, like when the baby is, you see a lot of pictures where the mother has her finger wrapped around her baby. Some children don't have that grasp reflex. So it would be important to remember that these reflexes are important in order to get the quality of movement that they need later on, like for handwriting and things right. like that. So you'd want to stimulate it or make sure that it's there. So it's not just about integrating the reflexes, but also about Every, everyone, making sure right. that they're there. Everyone has to use the reflex for a certain amount of time. They have to be integrated, which basically means that they need to go away. It's not that they disappear, but you don't need to use them anymore so that you can get voluntary movements like... 
picking up a pencil in order to write, picking up a cube and being able to actually let go of the cube. That would be, let's say, a grass pattern. That would be a physical component. Okay, what's the next topic that we should talk about? Let's talk a little bit maybe about um, emotionality and behavior. Okay, that's a good one. All right, I'll talk a little bit, start with that if that's all right. Um, One of the things to think about when we're talking about emotions and behavior is that there are some lower level reflexes which are considered the um, some of the lower first initial primitive reflexes that need to be integrated are the moro and the TLR and right. those um, the moro reflex is a startle reflex for those of you who are not familiar with that so think about when you have your newborn baby and you walk in and all of a sudden there's a noise and they flail their arms out that would be that moro reflex um, and then there's also a TLR reflex which is also present at birth and that reflex has to do with head movements and where the child is heads in space how their body is responding to that right now literature has shown and proven that when these two reflexes are not integrated later on in life they actually can affect emotionality and behavior and I'll go into detail just explain a little bit about that these reflexes are very connected to a system called the vestibular system in our body. And we're going to be doing a series on all the sensory systems, so I'm gonna just briefly explain that the vestibular system in the brain is very much connected to our emotionality and our regulation. And children who do not integrate these two reflexes have a tendency to be in a state of fight or flight. Well, actually, to mention the moral reflex actually is the fight or flight response. Response, So whenever they are eliciting that reflex or using it, like when you said you walk in and there's a sudden noise, they are are sort of like using all these systems, that sensory systems that they have, and they're trying to filter out, do I really need to fight? Do I really need to adjust to what's going on? Think about when you put them in the bath water. The minute you put them into that water, what usually happens, they flail because they're trying to adjust their body's temperature through that fight or flight response to get the appropriate response. And you know, if you think about it, it's it's a blessing. because it's right? protective, it's survival. Exactly. These babies are born, they've been in this protective womb right. nine months, and all of a sudden it's like, bam, they've got lice, they've got sounds, they've got smells, they've got all this stimulation, and they need to know how to protect themselves from that. It's too overwhelming. So a lot of times we'll... Um, We'll make sure to swaddle those babies and put right. them in a closed position. It's kind of helping them integrate that reflex, and it's kind of helping them with calming it down. Right. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, you're please. right. I, I just had this thing. It's a little bit like a trial and error phase for them. Like something happens to them. They need to decide, oh, is this something that's threatening for me? Oh, the water's a little hot, but you know what? It's really not so hot. So once I get my body temperature adjusted to that, I'm going to be very happy in the bath. And for kids who don't get over it or who don't utilize it the right way, those are the children who every time you need to put them into that bath, it's a new experience for them. Or they're having to try to adjust to the feeling that they're getting from it. Right. And you know, the thing is that a lot of these children, like when we speak to parents, they're like, oh, the first three months, my child was so colicky. And then it's almost like at four months you calm down and that's typical and that's okay that's right. what's supposed to be happening that would actually be normal behavior and it right. wouldn't be a red flag for us because the this these this moral reflex kind of 
fades away at about three to four months after birth. So that child already has time to experience the environmental changes and has learned instinctively to integrate that information and doesn't need to be in the state of arrest or fear or shutting down or whichever way they're going with it. But I do want to what, mention... What happens when, think right. about it, you're constantly in that fight or flight response. What so do you, I, I do want to speak about that. Um, you know, first of all, for the children who have a diagnosis of spectrum or difficulty with transitioning, you right. may even have a child who is developing perfectly and all of a sudden you realize at the age of five to six when they're starting primary school or when they're older and they start having some social situations, they're extremely emotional, overreactive, intense. I want to go back and say when you say they're developing perfectly, a child who also develops too perfectly and never cried and never showed that they had transitioning, a little transitioning issues, that would also be a little bit of a red flag. That, to me, would maybe say that they're a little bit more of a a flight response. Um, They're avoiding shutdown, avoiding, and that means that they're not processing or going through the responses that they need to. Right, and those children, if they still have that reflex and remnants of it, they're in a constant state of intensity, and they can be very intelligent, they can do well in school academically, but internally they're suffering so much and they're living a life of urgency and intensity. And for these children, the quality of life is very, very difficult and poor. These children can be exhausted. They can be highly sensitive to all stimulation, sounds, smells, um, um, touch. touch. Exactly. Again, if you think about the child who is overwhelmed by life, it's typically that child who still has that moral present in them later on in life 100 percent, and also because it has a lot to do with movement you said the vestibular system we are moving constantly throughout our day so not only are they affected by sensory information that's coming in they're also affected by um, movements that they may be doing with their head and that's going to affect can you imagine if you're constantly having to look at something and you're always on and you're fighting something you're basically busy trying to be comfortable in your own skin constantly and then how are you supposed to learn and how are you supposed to behave properly exactly so think about it i mean you're constantly in a state of being on alert or bothered for example that child who's sensitive to noises is hearing every little sound they're hearing the um the light flickering and the light bulb getting out from being lit or they're hearing the noises outside from the drilling that's happening that they did not get to adjust to it. It's constantly bothering them. They're smelling every single scent that's in the room, from the teacher's perfume to the Johnny's tuna fish sandwich that's in the back row. And they're just overwhelmed, and they end up doing behaviors that will help them to not hear that. They'll cover their ears. The child who's having a hard time sitting still or is so bothered will start moving or jumping around. And that's the child that gets sent to the principal's office when it had nothing to do with the behavior. It had to do with their physiology. It's it's almost when you see children like this, they maybe want to say, oh my gosh, what is that? What was that? And I have to tell you, some children who are on the spectrum and who are not they can't filter what they have to say or how to behave properly, they will actually, like you said, say it. But when you look at children, their responses are basically indicating that I am right now so busy filtering out things that I should not be busy with because I'm so busy with my body and all the assault of all the sensory information that's coming in on me that I'm not really able to pay attention. 
So when you're going to expect things from me, I'm going to behave in a way that may not be so appropriate. I may say things that are not so appropriate and it could all be stemming to the effect of some of these reflexes. And you know, some of the parents who come to us, a lot of parents who come to us have been to psychologists and behavioral therapists. And one of the things they always report is that the child does well on the program for a good four or five weeks and then they're not able to do it anymore. And it's like they get confused. Like it was, they were recommended by excellent behavioral therapists and psychologists. And then we explain to them, and we actually sometimes will even speak in front of the child and tell them that, yes, because they don't want to behave this way. So they want to do, if there's like a reward system, they want to do good. They want to be the child who's responsible and sitting nicely and interacting normally. But we describe to them how for these children, it's just tiring. Imagine constantly being on. That's what they're living, a life of... The switch, the lights are on, and there's never a time of them being able to be internally calm. Yeah, there comes a certain point where as as smart as these children are, and most of them really are very smart, they're not able to use their cognitive ability to deal with what they need to do because they're still so busy with physiological responses that their body is um, going through that affects them to sort of shut down and not behave properly. I think we can talk about this for a whole, we we can do a whole podcast on this one. All right, let's move on and talk a little bit about how they're affecting academics. Excellent. When you don't have reflexes that were integrated properly, you're going to have kids that are going to have an issue with handwriting. They're not going to, either they're going to be very slow at writing down um, things. They may have a hard time actually accessing what they have in their head and putting it down on paper. Expressive language. 100%. They're going to have a hard time with um, reading, being able to cross over the midline. Some of the kids will be... Can you explain, just explain midline? Well, we talk about midline, we would be talking about the middle of your body and there are certain baby or primitive reflexes that are there that help a child establish what it is, what's the middle of my body, what is the right side of my body, what is the left side of my body. If you look at babies, they start to use one side of their body separately from the other. And after a certain time, you want to have them be able to cross over that midline that would mean taking a block from the right side of my uh where on the right side of me and handing it to mommy who's sitting on my left side and that actually would indicate that a reflex is being integrated meaning that it's not there anymore because they can move freely from one side of their body to the next so when you think about patty cake by the way for those parents who are having a struggle with their child learning that patty cake is a great great game to see if this reflex is integrated because at some point you have to cross that midline first you're you're clapping clapping. and you're you're basically doing one hand facing each other and then you're basically crossing over think a little bit also about a child who has a hard time with the midline these are the kids who maybe turn in their seat they're never facing forward because it's easier for them to write um, away from their midline or using their midline. These are the children who have a hard and time with reading, again, as I by the way, Just yeah. mentioned, there again, they're getting into trouble and they're being sent to the principal's office because they're not, Johnny's not sitting straight. Right. So um, they will have a hard time with reading. They right. may be skipping lines. They may be skipping words. They're going to have a hard time with the right-left discrimination. What's Which is the right side of my body? Which is the left? Where's my left ear? Where's my right ear? And um, it's very important to also be able to not discriminate because we have a lot of crossing over that goes on in our brain um, for reading, for language skills, for mathematics, for math, for processing, for um, executive functioning skills. So a lot of times you'll see 
even if they're not presenting with reading issues and they're having other processing issues, maybe it's stemming from a certain reflex not being integrated. All right, let's talk about that fourth area that affects um, children, and that would be the area of attention. We spoke briefly on this, but there is actually one reflex that gets developed later on um, about the time that they're learning how to crawl. Right. It's called actually the STNR, this um, symmetrical tonic neck reflex. And that reflex has been proven in research studies to have a direct effect in having a diagnosis later on of ADD or ADHD. Not to say, by the way, that this is a cause of it. And right. Not everyone, not has, everyone it. has it that has a diagnosis of it. But they were able to see that later on in life, majority of um, children who had this in that study that was done by Binder, they found that there were um, very high percentage, and I can get those numbers for you, where they were shown to have difficulties with attention and focusing. And this reflex is one that is um, presents with the child being hunched over in the seat. They're not able to sit correctly and properly. They'll have their legs wrapped around the chair sometimes, or they'll be leaning over with their head on their, um, their hand on their forehead, trying to lean in. And when they don't have this reflex integrated, it's very, very difficult for them to pay attention because they're constantly making small, slight adjustments in their body in order to allow them to get a better sense of where they are and to be comfortable. I also want to mention it's not just that one reflex. Um, it, you can have a cluster of reflexes that are still there that are going to affect attention because if you're always going to feel like when you move your head, you want to assume a certain position, like we spoke about at TLR, where you're moving your head and you may have a certain pull with your flexors or your extensors, and you know you cannot sit with your head face down, you have to always look up, you're going to have these fidgety movements of that may even present, by the way, as hyperactivity. A lot of kids present with ADHD and they get the diagnosis and they may not really have a pure ADHD in its purest form. It's basically a reflex that has to be worked on. So it's not just one reflex. I think there's an association to it, but you want to look that you there are other reflexes that can also be affecting their hyperactivity and their attention level and their concentration in class. And I do want to put a disclaimer out here. It's nice that we're putting reflexes here in this, you know, a, a short little podcast we're talking about explanations. There is no there's something that we always talk about that it's not about causation, it's about correlation. Right. So you have to remember that if you have a child who has ADD or ADHD, this is not the only reason that they may be having those issues. There may be an accurately neuro discrimination between how much of their neurochemicals are being released. So it's a little tricky. I know I presented it as a way of explaining the reflex. But it's not I, something I think, a lot of times like therapists are like, oh, this child has ADD. We're going to do the STNR integration reflexes and everything's going to be great. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not so simple. And I, I think this really segues very nicely into our last point where we want to talk about how working on a reflex is a art as much as it is a science. Right. I also want to say like sometimes you have to, when you're looking at reflexes, usually we do not just treat one reflex. You want to look for a cluster of reflexes that are affecting a child. 
Of course, you have to look at it on a case-by-case basis because some of these reflexes, particularly the one you mentioned in the beginning with that moral reflex, could be a very um, involved reflex for a child, and maybe you would choose to treat that, but you really have to look at the whole picture of how that child presents. And not when we're saying something, it's not an isolation. You have to look at... How does that child present? Look at that child. You have to test it properly. And you have to realize when you're treating, does that child need maybe to use that reflex because they never used it? Does that child still have that reflex and you want to integrate that reflex? It's like you said, an art and a science of being able to figure out what each individual child, based on their reflex profile from testing, what do you need to address? And what's the quality of their life? Right, which is why actually when we're training therapists, they always want to know, what should I do for the morrow? What right. should I do for the TLR? If In our trainings, that's one of the most common questions. They're like, just give us the protocols. And when we go through the explanation, part of the reason why it's it's really um, it's not so much just the actual reflex. It's sort of like my sister said, taking that whole profile, but also understanding the other parts of the body that might be interfering in that profile: the sensory systems, the neurochemical development, all the other components. And I I do want to also emphasize that you mentioned clusters, just so they understand. Right. As adults, each of us can be walking around with a reflex. It's not integrated, and that's fine because we're functioning. In fact, you know, I remember getting married, and my first weekend with my husband, we went to synagogue, and I was kind of telling him, oh, that one has this reflex and that reflex, and he thought he had married a wacko. (laughs) Um, And he's like, what are you talking about? He's a lawyer, so he's quite concrete. And I explained, yeah, you see, if you watch how Joe is walking, you can see a lot from that. And if you see how this one's walking. And, you know, again, it doesn't mean anything. I also want to say, like, you probably have a certain eye, but I want people to know that when you're looking at adults or even when you're looking at children, they're never going to present in the purest form of what that reflex is. Everyone knows you have a reflex. It's going to have a cause. Something's going to happen, and it's going to have an effect. Children are not going to react the way you think that reflex is going to look. A baby may. Right. But we learn to protect ourselves because it will look kind of ridiculous when I turn my head to the right that my entire body is going to go flailing right. to the side. So if you so Google, right, if you Google these reflexes, to, you know, tonight or today after listening to this podcast, you're going to see very um, specific pictures of how these children look when their reflexes are not you won't find that in an older child or an adult because they're already learning how to kind of hide it or kind of compensate and cope with it right and that's part of the challenge is that you need to make sure to have a trained professional doing this kind of work i also think it's something important to know that sometimes you will see it's something to keep in the back of your mind so to speak you'll be doing therapy with a child and you're going to try to get them stronger and and they'll be doing exercises and a parent will say I don't know why they keep having low muscle tone well maybe it's not the strength issue maybe there's a reflex that's affecting the ability to independently use certain parts of their body and that's why they're not getting that muscle tone I did vision therapy and they're still skipping lines and right. they're still having issues maybe they've done vision therapy but they haven't really gone and you know, treated the source of a reflex that's causing them to have um, an inability to use their eyes and their hands independently. So it's a little bit about being a good investigator and seeing what the symptoms are and 
do you need to look at a reflex and see if you have to treat it? And as professionals who are working in this field, it's very important that they get proper training because I will tell you that certain reflexes if we see present, we will not treat these children at all. Some of these reflexes are indicators of some um, significant neurological issues that you would not want to do exercises on to trigger some of those reflexes. So make sure that if you are having a therapist who plans on working on this, make sure that they have a proper training and licensure in right. doing that. Because I can tell you from our own stories, when we've done evaluations, sometimes we have seen certain signs and we did not accept those ch children in our caseload until that child went to a neurologist to get the all clear. And there have been at times certain issues that the parents would not have known. So you just want to be able to be careful. Because remember, for some children, for certain diagnoses, for example, a child who has CP, they are going to for sure have some of their primitive reflexes there because and they, they need are, it. They are protective in nature. Right. They're there to help you survive just as they did for the baby. So you have to treat it with care. You have to treat it with expertise. I think you have to treat it with a lot of patience because it's not a fast thing in terms of reflex integration. Personally, I feel like sometimes I hear people are, oh, I'm going to integrate that reflex in two, three weeks. I feel that we have found that that's not really something that's so doable. So you have to be slow but steady. And the beauty of doing reflex integration properly is that a lot of times you work on certain areas of reflex integration and other things just fall, in fall place. into place because you've taken away the demands of that child being busy with their body so they're able to do work with less effort. And that is a, that's a joy to see. Right. And you know, when you hear us speak about different topics, you're always going to hear us speaking, you're going to hear soon about sensory integration and things like that and neurochemical development. The, the bottom line is you want to get to the root cause, and this is one area. Don't think it's the only area. You might need that support of that psychologist. You might need that speech therapist to work on training them again how to articulate after they've learned how to use those tongue muscles and mouth muscles a little bit more naturally. You're, it's, not a, it's not a quick fix. It's not a magical solution. And a lot of times that's something that you do want to remember. But what's amazing about it, my sister said, is it's almost like they got the information, but they weren't able to hear clearly. They got it muffled. And then all of a sudden, once they're able to hear clearly what's going on, their expression comes out, their awareness of other people, social situations, just all these different areas come to fruition. Right. So we hope you, you enjoyed and got some information tonight from what we learned. Please share with us your thoughts and your questions. You um, can... Go Let ahead. us know if there's any area of this particular topic that you'd like to learn a little bit more. Um, send us an email. Um, you can follow us at our Instagram page. Yeah, it's going to be at the approaches. end. We'll have all the information there. But anyway, we hope you have a great day, and we hope that we've helped you quiet the noise. We hope you enjoyed and learned something new to take with you and help your families. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hands On Approaches or visit our website at www.handsonapproaches.com to learn more about this podcast's topic. If you are interested in having your questions featured on the podcast or to ask your question live, please email us at info at handsonapproaches.com. Please note that none of the information discussed on this podcast should be viewed as medical or psychological treatment. 
If you are concerned about your child or an adult in your life, please seek out professional help and resources. Thank you for joining our podcast. Please be sure to leave a review or comment so that we can continue providing you quality education.